You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight the crazy finish in Detroit with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback, and debate who is the best team in all of football. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today discussing some of the top games from week three with Charles Davis of Fox Sports and the NFL Network. CD, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to hear your voice, Brian. Hello, Cordell. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, sir? Always a I'm pleasure. Doing great. I'm going to defer. Great. I trust you guys are too. We are, and I'm going to defer to Cordell because there's no bigger Titan fan in all of sports media than Cordell Stewart. Charles, you know, you had an opportunity to sit in that stadium and feel the energy uh, that's there. Uh, you know, I've yeah. been with Mike Malarkey for some time. I know the system like the back of my hand. <laughs> Give me your take on what you saw with this football team going up, especially on the offensive side of the ball, going against, going against the Legion of Boom, which has a defense yep. when it comes to stopping the run. They're really good, and they fly around like crazy men sometimes. That is so true. And, you know, I've been lucky enough, Cordell and Brian, that I've done the Tennessee Titans preseason the last two years. I've done their package. So I've watched this grow a little bit, not just in terms of regular season games and seeing what Mike has brought to the table and how he's imprinted his personality, his identity on a team. And he's in lockstep with the general manager, John Robinson. And one thing I knew going into it, you know, Mike says it very quietly, but with, with, with some sternness as well. Look, we beat five playoff teams last year. We beat six teams with winning records. We went nine and seven. We're not going to be intimidated despite the fact that Seattle. And it, to me, it was a measuring stick game. It was a proven game for, you know, the national media, for the national fans to see Tennessee take on someone recognizable because Seattle is more than recognizable. And Mike's a tight end who used to block the heck out of people. He's, a, he's an offensive coordinator who likes to impose his will on people with some physical play. And what was the term that they had, exotic smash mouth? Well, we saw that on display on Sunday. They lined up and went chest-to-chest chest with Seattle. They didn't have great success early, but they weren't you know, dissuaded from it. They just kept going, kept pounding the rock, to use one of those great cliches that's out there. And eventually they cracked them because – they kept the football. It was 117 in the shade on the field where we measured it with the thermometer at kickoff. And the number of plays accumulated because Seattle's offense couldn't stay on the field. And you saw the end result. You know, big plays from DeMarco Murray. Quick screen to Richard Matthews. It turned into a big play. Derrick Henry with some fine runs down the stretch. They imposed their will, and they wore them out. And you're talking about a significant defensive front, especially with the addition of Sheldon Richardson. So, Get ready, everyone. This is a Tennessee team that has an offense that can travel. They can run this offense in December. They can run it in the rain. They can run it in the snow. They can run it in the slush because a running game will travel just like defense does in basketball. And uh, that's, what, that's what I think of this team. And there's a toughness to them. There's an identity to them now. And now they just have to continue to play to that level. And the last thing I'll tell you, Cordell, is I end this filibuster. They have one big hurdle they've got to get over. And that's mm-hmm. the Indianapolis Colts, believe it or not. Indianapolis has beaten them 16 out of the last 17. Wow. Tennessee was 2-4 and four in their division last year and went 9-7 and seven overall. If they, if they go 3-3 three and three in the division, I think they win it last year ahead of Houston. So that's the big deal for them. Taking care of business in the division. Oh, guess who they have this week? Houston. 
so they've got to get ready to go. But Indianapolis has beaten them 16 of 17, and I'm still trying to fathom that. <laughs> Taking you around the league with one of the best in the business, Charles Davis. Charles, as for Seattle, to get a magnificent performance out of Russell Wilson, 373 passing yards, four touchdowns, and still lose. I know it's early, but does it tell us yeah. that Seattle's dealing with some real issues? They're definitely dealing with some issues, Brian, on the offensive front because sometimes the numbers lie a little bit to us because Russell was magnificent, but he put up 373, um, and he ran for his life most of the day. I think one of the most significant stats in there is the, is the one that's not, not really stated, and that's that Russell Wilson, while sacked one time for the game, probably escaped enough sacks or potential sacks that we could be pushing double digits. I mean, he was that good by himself. I mean, he would take snaps, and Cordell would tell you as a quarterback, if, you're, if you can't even get to hit your back foot and your drop and before you're having to eye pressure, it's not a good day. No, it's not. And that was happening a lot for him, and he became Houdini. They played at their best when they went no huddle, up-tempo, but that's hard uh, because you've got to protect your defense too, Brian. You know, if you go up-tempo, no huddle, and go three and out a couple of times or only get one first down, your defense didn't get much rest, and they were worn out yesterday anyway. So it was a very difficult task for them. But Wilson is so good, I'm not sure he gets the credit he deserves because he continues to operate behind an offensive front that can't quite pull it together enough, and the pressure is always there. And I still can't believe he only got sacked one time. And the last thing about go Vince Scully on you with a stat. Russell Wilson, career in Seattle. Anytime he throws it 39 times or more, including yesterday, the Seattle Seahawks are 2-7. and seven. That is a good they nugget, Cordell. They don't play that way. Follow that one away. They don't play that way. Yeah. You guys know that. They don't play that way. They run the heck out of it. They throw off the play action. They make it comfortable. They get to pick the down and distance when they throw it because they've run it so well, and they're still trying to get that identity back. They kind of left when Thomas Rawls got hurt in 2015 because he ran it pretty well after Marshawn but hasn't been the same since. They're hoping Chris Carson is that guy, but they're not there yet. Charles, you have um, DeMarco Murray in the backfield who had a great run in Dallas. Uh, we end up seeing that was a few years ago. He ends up leaving, going to Philly. They thought he was washed up. He goes to, to Nashville, and, and all of a sudden he's rejuvenated. And Mike Malarkey yeah. feeds right into his wheelhouse of how he likes to play the game. When watching him run for that 75-yard skipper, down the field. I like to call it a skipper because yeah. he was scooting along to get there. Uh, <laughs> what's your take on what he has left in the tank? Because it was conversation that Derrick Henry would probably carry the load. But when you create a run like that, that allows you to have 115 yards in the game, what does it say about his mental fortitude and his the physical nature of who he is and what he's still capable of giving back to the game? It says everything because he battled a hamstring all during camp. And then he re-injured it at Jacksonville last week, and that's when Henry carried the load and had his most productive day, 92 yards. I think you saw the touchdown run where he ended up exploding on Jalen Ramsey at the goal line and running through him. And the thought was that DeMarco, Henry, I mean, DeMarco Murray would not really be 100% for this game. I was worried. I saw him in practice, and he didn't look 100% to me on, on the Friday. But Mike Malarkey loves him because he does everything well. It's all the things you talked about. He doesn't just run the ball. He's a terrific pass protector. He's a terrific guy who catches the ball out of the backfield, not just on screens, but he can run a you know, route tree for you downfield. He's a guy that's inspirational with the foot with the team, cares about team first, and he trusts him. And he's, you know, until he sees real slippage, he's not replacing DeMarco Murray. 
I was just wondering if he was going to be 100% for this game. And he went ahead and showed if he wasn't 100, it was more than enough for what he needed because it wasn't just a 75-yard run. He made some other tough runs during the game. Right. It gave them crucial yardage, kept the ball, chewed up some clock, did a really nice job. And then uh, that allowed De- Derrick Henry to come in behind him and affect the game as well. I think he had 54 yards on you know, 13, 14 carries and, and continued to use his body and his force. So it's a good two-headed monster, but make no mistake about it. When DeMarco Murray is healthy, he is their lead back, and Derrick Henry will get the other carries. He's not supplanting him anytime soon as long as Murray is healthy. Charles, as we wrap it up, because you're so heavily involved with the NFL draft coverage on NFL Network, what was your assessment of Deshaun Watson coming out of Clemson? Watching that game yesterday, he almost beat the Patriots on the road to Gillette Stadium. Yeah, he, he, you know, it's easy to say that you like the guy a lot coming out when they play well early, but you can check the records and all that. He was my number one quarterback in last year's class. And it's what you saw yesterday in New England is why I put him there. When the lights are the brightest, he shines. Okay, when the lights are there, he's, he, he, he goes. And it's not that he doesn't play well when it was not a big game. That's not the point at all. It's just that, to me, he elevates in big games. And I've said it before. I'll leave it here. His last two seasons at Clemson, let's, let's count what I would call really significant games down the stretch. Two ACC championship games where they beat North Carolina, who I believe was 10-1 and one at the time. They beat Virginia Tech last year, you know, his last year there, and that's Virginia Tech. Everybody knows about them and Bud Foster's defense. College football semifinal, two years in a row, they really whacked Oklahoma, and then last year they destroyed Ohio State. And then in the championship game, he went 1-1 one and one against Alabama and could have easily been 2-0. and oh. Alabama made some big plays in the kicking game, a big return by Kenyon Drake for a touchdown, and then, of course, the onside kick that Nick Saban had the 4-2 to call, and they executed it, and that gave him the extra, uh, extra uh, series in advantage and won the ball game. But this is a kid who has an effect, a major effect on those types of games. I knew he would be intimidated going into New England. Did I think it would take a Tom terrific, Tom terrific uh, drive to win it for New England? I didn't think so, but I knew that he would acquit himself well. So all those things that go into it, that was just continue to get better for this young man as he continues to, uh, you know, ascend into being a top pro quarterback. So I have no doubt that he's going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback before his career is over. Charles, always a pleasure, Cordell, as we wrap it up. I just informed Cordell that Charles and I have been friends for 20 years. You want to ask Charles what I was like when I was 25? I'm sure I was very self-aware and a low-key young man. I like how he no tried doubt. to guide you in how to answer that question, Charles. You like how That's he did that? That's the Stanford education just, I play, I'm, my friend. I'm, 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 listen, I'm just co-signing on it, man. Thank you. That's why we're friends. <laughs> That's it. It's all right, Charles. We'll talk about it another time. We'll talk about it another time. Just you and I, Charles. Just you and I. You, you, you have my number, Cordell. <laughs> That's right. All right. Thank you, Charles. You guys be good. It's great to chat with you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls from more than 100 schools live, regular season matchups and rivalry games, conference championships and bowl games, the college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory, hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long, free on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's bring in DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback, to spotlight the Falcons and their last second win over the Lions on Sunday. 
DJ, I'm sure, based on your connection to the club, that you were pleased with the outcome of the game in Detroit. But as a viewer and a football fan, wasn't that an unsatisfying ending with the 10-second runoff, which was the correct call? I mean, it's the rule, and I mean, it's part of the game. And even Coach Caldwell after the game mentioned, hey, that's the right rule, and it is what it is, and we got to uh, do a better job at it. And even if it's unsatisfying for a lot of different people, I still look at it as, the Detroit Lions had the ball on the one-yard line with 19 seconds to go, and it took to that third attempt to possibly get in the end zone, but you're one yard away, and you're still trying to throw the football on first and second down, and you're not able to get the ball in the end zone. So they had their chances, and they just did not execute it in the ball game. So uh, it, it turned out uh, in the Falcons' way, and if you know, you're know you a fan of Atlanta, you're from Atlanta, you've seen many of situations like this <laughs> not go your way. Yes, it's typically the Falcons finding a way to lose that game, right? Absolutely, absolutely. DJ, when watching that game, you know, you talked about a couple games, you talked about execution, and you know in the the red zone and and, and, in moments that's as tense as that moment is, knowing that you have to score as opposed to kick a field goal to win the game. Uh, When looking at that, when it comes to, let's just say, a scheme uh, to execution and situational football, what you t- what did you take away from that game that caused you to be a little worried about the Atlanta Falcons, uh, considering that we know this is a team that doesn't know how to finish well all the time? I mean, there were three turnovers by the quarterback, which is not the norm. Uh, what did you take? Are you just basically saying that was an ugly win? Or are you saying that there are a lot of things they need to, to sharpen in order to be considered and maintain being that best team from a record standpoint in the NFC? I think it's a, it's a number of things that you can look at in this bubble game and you can say, okay, here's a situation where the Falcons usually don't play this type of football. You, you, you talk about the three interceptions, two of them were deflections and, you know, that usually doesn't happen, but it's part of the game. Even late in the ball game, they had a couple penalties by uh, Trufant that he hardly ever does. He has a, a holding call that's on the backside of an end cut that had nothing uh, to do with the play. Then, uh, the, the play to get him down to the end zone with the pass interference where, you know, he kind of panics right there. Those type of things by the veteran guys, you don't see happen much from this Falcons team, and it, it showed his head. But then if you look on the positive side of it, this is the second time in three games where a team has had the ball inside the five-yard line to win the ball game, and your defense finds a way to win the ball game. And obviously you don't want those things to happen, but anytime you get roll wins, anytime you get a chance, to extend a drive or uh, make a play when it's there and you make the play, it's a positive to think about. And I think all those things that happen are things that they can correct. Uh, catching the football on simple check down routes or, or something that you can improve on. And Trufant is a guy who's been to the Pro Bowl. He's one of the top corners in the league. He'll learn from this as he gets his footing back coming back from the injury from last year. So there were a couple scenarios that you look back and say, oh, these could have hurt you and you could have lost the ball game. By the end of the day, you had a chance to win it at the end of the game, and your defense, that's your offense, two out of three times this season has already stepped up to the plate and won the game for you. Well, I'm not sure the defense made those plays, if we're going to be transparent, DJ, on the road Chicago. Didn't the Bears drop two passes, or did I miss something watching that game? I mean, it happens. I mean, it, it, it was – you think about the second one where he dropped the ball right there at the one-yard line. Uh, here comes, you know, Rocky Offer with a big hit. But you're right. I mean, they didn't make the plays, and the Falcons end up benefiting from it. So, uh, one way or another, the Falcons' defense gets the credit. 
They have to. I mean, you know, I, 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 Coach Kyra always used to say this all the time when we were in Pittsburgh is you're not as good as you think you are and not as bad as they say you are. So how do you find that balance of knowing that you're considered and touted as the best team in the NFC, squeaked away a win, knowing the history of this organization and how they go about their business. And I know people, you probably say, why people are sounding this way, man? They, they're undefeated. They won the game. Why don't they just have, let them have their moment? Well, we saw what happened last year. And you can't take any of those moments. You mentioned Trufant and the mistake he made. You mentioned uh, Matt Ryan and the mistakes he made. How do you allow the, 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 the mindset to be one that says, you know what, we won the game, but at the same time, they really did beat us because they really did get a touchdown. It just so happened they need to touch the ground. Corey, I think it's a good point, and I think it's one that the Falcons definitely walked out of Detroit, walked out of Chicago with a sigh of relief like, hey, we might have stole one, we might have stole two. And you go back and you watch the film and you correct those mistakes. And the next time you're in that position, next time you're in that opportunity, then hopefully you can learn from what happened last time and you make a better decision. So it's one of those things that you have to learn and grow from, and you got to be on the field and go through it to be able to understand how to get through it the next time. And uh, you're spot on. This team could easily be one and two right now, yeah. and people are looking at them at a whole in a whole other light. But you know, hey, like I said, you stole a, a couple of them, and now you're three and zero, oh and uh, it was three NFC games. So maybe that's going to help you down the road as well if you have if you seem to falter, but I think because you were in the Super Bowl, you had that happen to you. Because you've been on the road two out of three games and you might have slipped through that later in the season, you learn from all those different situations and it helps you become a better team and finish those games that you probably wouldn't finish if you hadn't gone through it. Going around the league with our pal DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. DJ, you know the NFC South well. Cam Newton did not look good again. Three picks against a in all candor, lousy New Orleans defense. Carolina's D got pounded by the Saints, and you got the Patriots coming up next week taking on the Panthers. Is this team dealing with some real issues? Yeah, I think they are. Uh, obviously, you thought Cam would struggle simply because he was a little bit limited throughout training camp, and he's you know coming off the injury, and you know it's going to take us some time to find that cohesion with all the guys offensively that they brought in. So you expected that, but you didn't expect their defense who, you know, brought back Julius Peppers, who some people may think he's done, but he felt like he's, you know, still got it. You got Keekley and Davis and all those guys. You got some good pass rushers, but you didn't expect that defense to struggle the way they did. Obviously, Drew Brees is who he is, but still, this is a defense in New Orleans Saints you thought you should be able to dominate. And Cam and that offense still has not found that cohesion, and I think they have some real issues. Cam's been real inaccurate. Uh, you've seen the past couple of weeks, he's missed wide open guys, not just for first downs or, or picking up yardage. He missed guys in the end zone. He's missed big plays. And I think they have some real issues offensively. I think defensively, they can find a way to get back to the old Carolina Panthers. But right now, you got to go into Foxborough to play New England. And Brady's been hot in the last couple of weeks. He's coming off the big win versus Houston with the come behind win. So. They're going to be feeling good, and we know how hard it is to win in Foxborough versus Tom Brady in the past. EJ, I want to talk about something that was that was mentioned yesterday in the latter part of the day on the First and Gold show with Brian Weber and Nick Ferguson uh, that basically covers everything uh, the National Football League. Um, the question was asked about the Indianapolis Colts, and uh, it was about Andrew Luck. And you see Jacoby Brissett 
playing solid last week against uh, the Cardinals. Uh, came down to an interception in overtime, but the team is playing much better with him at the quarterback position to getting a victory against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, that's all they want to see is the team just get better. Uh, with with him coming in, you know, being taught by Josh McDaniels and and having the mindset of understanding how to play the position, how do you deal with Andrew Luck when he's healthy? Because this team, when it comes to building them, it's a rebuilding process for the Indianapolis Colts across the board. Uh, there's been conversations about Andrew Luck maybe uh, throughout his camp or just pundits around the league saying that there's some stories being talked about. Maybe they may be true, alleged stories uh, that maybe uh, you deal Andrew Luck off because of the big signing bonus money that you've given him. But yet here it is. You have a Jacoby Brissett who's playing solid football. He's not worth that much in a sense of value in dollars and cents, but you could get so much for Andrew Luck if that's an opportunity. Do you think that's, you think that sounds realistic? Is that just, just, you know, crazy conversation or there's an opportunity from a business standpoint for the coach to benefit from this, to find some players to build his team. You know what, after being around this league for so long and watching the business part of it, it's totally realistic. I mean, you just go back to, you know, I know Peyton was in the you know latter part of his career, but if you're in a position where you can benefit from it from a team standpoint of moving on from somebody and gaining something else, then business-wise, they're going to do it. So realistically, I do believe it can happen with Andrew Luck, and they, I think Brissett will have what three or four more games to prove himself before Andrew Luck gets on the field and actually gets in the game action. That's just he's going to be practicing for the next three, four weeks, so. right? Uh, it's still going to take another two or three or four weeks. We've seen it with Cam. It's going to be week four. He still hasn't found his cohesion. Do they have the time in this season to get Andrew Luck back right while you're trying to get him in just because he makes a lot of money? But if you have a guy in Brousset who you mentioned is not costing you as much in dollars since, but is still getting the job done and younger, then why not go in that uh, that way simply because he's going to help your team and help your team right now as opposed to trying to get a guy in just because you're paying him tons of money. DJ, we had a little bit of a hiccup in your phone line. I think it was call waiting. Jim Irsay calling you and Cordell to tell you you're nuts. I'm going to handle Cordell when it comes to this matter in the next hour of the program. We'll address this at 525 Eastern. I just have to move on because yeah, I need please to take do, a moment because it's real. Go DJ, ahead. we have limited time with you, so let's wrap it up with Jameis Winston. I'm a huge fan. Back-to-back 4,000-yard passing seasons to start his career after poor decision-making at Florida State. He's growing up in the NFL. What happened yesterday? Case Keenum looked like a Hall of Famer against a good Tampa Bay defense, and Winston was a turnover machine with the three picks. Yeah, that's 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 Jameis though. I mean, that's what you get with Jameis Winston, and we all seen the hard knocks, and you, know, you you saw Dirk Cutter trying to talk him out of. You just can't make those bad decisions, those bad throws, and he just has it in him to always want to force the issue at times. He's just that gunslinger type of player, and I wonder how long Dirk Cutter can deal with it. And if he wants to be known as one of the elite quarterbacks, and I thought coming to the season, just like you did, I, I thought he was trending upwards, uh, and obviously he took a step back this week with his performance, but he's one of those guys that you got to hold your breath every time he throws the football because you're not sure if he's making a good decision or he's just trying to win the game for you with, with one single throw. And he has to realize he's hurting his team. And if, until he realizes that he can't make those type of decisions, those mistakes throughout a ball game, then he's going to continue to hurt his team, and Tampa Bay will always be 
in the middle of the pack. And until he become, becomes that guy and takes care of the football better, then Tampa Bay will still be a team that will be in the middle of the NFC and middle of the entire National Football League because of the guy who's pulling the trigger. DJ, great information as always. We appreciate you taking the time. I know you go on many shows because you're in demand. Let me give you some advice. Do not suggest that the Colts trade Andrew Luck if you appear on another show, okay? All right, man. Y'all, y'all be good and be well. This is the only show that I really want. Oh, so it's all good. I heard you did some stuff in Atlanta, but we're a worldwide brand. I don't know here. what show that was. I don't recall that. <laughs> Thank you, well, DJ. You make it, be well. Stop making up stuff, man. Come on. Yeah, fake news. Yeah, he does it all the time. Alternative facts. We'll talk to you next week, DJ. <laughs> all right, later. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Between game-winning drives and walk-off home runs, follow TuneIn Sports on social media and get the latest scoop on our great sports shows. From MLB at the plate to NFL No Huddle, be the first to know about upcoming interviews with some of the biggest stars in sports. Or check out behind-the-scenes coverage that you can't get anywhere else. Like us at TuneIn Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and keep up on all the latest news and happenings from around the world of sports. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Are the Kansas City Chiefs the best team in all of football? Let's break it down. Only two teams are 3-0, Kansas City and Atlanta. Do you have mm. any doubts the Chiefs are the best team in all of football? They're playing the best football in all of football, Yes. They're right now, right now, they're playing the best football from top to bottom. Houston, um, Justin Houston is still playing lights out football, creating sacks, getting turnovers, being disruptive. He's doing it all in the time in which they need it most in the latter part of all the games they played this year. Um, the running game, we're seeing this young man at Kareem Hunt. He's just running like he's a madman uh, across the board. You still have a heavy dose of their quarterback in Alex Smith that's producing the way they need him to produce and wanted him to uh, produce when it comes down to playing in the game. So I'm looking at this team in Kansas City right now, to be honest with you, that's playing with a swagger that I haven't seen maybe going all the way back to um, how far back the, the late Derek Thomas. Uh, in, 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 it was just... Neil Smith, correct me, if, am I right? Um, Neil Smith, right? Yeah, with his yeah, salute Neil after Smith. he yes. would sack yes. a quarterback, right? Yes, Neil Smith. And so it was It was a time in which way back when, where this team was was extremely good. Um, and I know the numbers say 16 to 21, but you know what? Again, it's one of those games where you don't have to do much. All you don't want to do is screw it up because if you can give me two touchdowns in the air, if you can give Hunt – Arguably the better, the best back playing in the game, the best football that's being played by that back. Maybe the best football back. player this season. It's so early, far. small so far. sample size, but nobody so has been a bigger difference maker than the rookie from Toledo. So far, he's been playing and, and having an out of body experience in the National Football League with how he's playing now. The thing is, is you hope they can find some adversity earlier so they can re, you know reboot the system and start over again. Because if, if, if they can continue this, this run of, of good football like this, it's going to be tough for any team to beat them. But here's the thing. And the good thing about the National Football League with having 16 games in it and you start off slow, 
you can find that niche somewhere. If you can find that, that something that can help turn the switch on to where maybe starting at the 12th, I mean, because look what happened with the Green Bay Packers last year. They, the latter part of the beginning of the second half of the season, season or even uh, the beginning of the last part of last season all the way to the end, they just played some great football. If you can find that window to where you can start getting better, which I think a lot of other teams in the National Football Leagues can and will, you just wonder either how better this team in Kansas City can get or how flat they become over some time because you know injuries are a part of the game. Uh, you know sometimes the, you know going undefeated is hard. I mean, ask the New England Patriots. They had to deal with that way back when, uh, when having to go up against the Giants in the Super Bowl and saw what happened in that game. Uh, so right now, Kareem Hunt is playing the best football out of the backfield. Right now, consistently, Alex Smith is playing the best football right now. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and they're doing it without the Eric Berry. Remember, they lost the him list. for the rest of the year. And then you have Eric Murray, who's filling in for Eric Berry, who I think is doing a really good job. And again, Justin Houston, he is just being himself. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. TuneIn brings the best in audio to you with great podcasts from every genre. There's unscripted sports talk with the Skip and Shannon Undisputed Podcast. Fair warning, Skip and Shannon may not always see eye to eye. Arts with the Men's Room Daily Podcast. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have six days to do nothing but draw smiley. It does suck when your favorite pen dies. And plenty of comedy with shows like Harmontown. Was that a sneeze or Italian? It said what, what? Frost. Frosty. Frosty. Frosty? Frosty? I hope not. Listen to your favorite podcasts or discover new ones today on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for my partner Cordell Stewart to let loose as we find out who he wants to slash. Cordell Stewart earned the nickname of Slash for his sensational versatility on the field, playing quarterback and wide receiver at a very high level. But that moniker also brings another dimension, a competitive edge that won't settle for losing. So if your favorite team is underachieving, Cordell is ready to present solutions. Buckle up your chin strap because a coaching staff and some key players are about to get slashed. With the caveat, it's a metaphoric slashing based on the fact that Cordell's nickname was Slash. We discussed it earlier. It's the dominant story across the NFL. In fact, across all of media, flip on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. It's what everybody's focusing on. Let's take you back to the comments made by the president of the United States at a rally in Alabama on Friday night. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners? When somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! Clearly, many players, head coaches, executives had a strong reaction. Let's hear from Steeler head coach Mike Tomlin after the loss in Chicago. We will not allow politics to divide us with football players, with football team. Um, if, if many of them felt like something needed to be done, I asked those guys to discuss it. And whatever they discussed, that, you know, we have 100% participation or we do nothing. Um, they just discussed it for an appropriate length of time. They couldn't come to an understanding. Um, so they chose to, to remove themselves from it. 
Cordell, a lot to unpack. It was a highly emotional day across the NFL. Where do you want to start? Man, where can you start? Let's start off from the top. Um, our president, Donald Trump, um, and how un- not it, it seems like from afar, um, most importantly, when it comes down to the most powerful position in the world, um, and you are the spokesperson for every human being within that country that you are the president for, along with this world, for as, the, for as a powerful position is concerned, it's important that you actually calculate the things you say so that as you move forward with what you're doing, with saying the right things or saying the things that are needed, but make sure that you don't you don't cross a boundary. And, and I get sometimes when, you know, people may do certain things or have a difference of opinion. Let's just say agree to disagree about something. I mean, that's what this world is about. And I think that's why this country is so beautiful, because everyone has the opportunity to truly speak their mind in a way uh, that hopefully it can open up that can of dialogue so that you can have the crossover conversations, regardless if you like it or not. At least that's what allows us to be able to cope and be neighbors, uh, to be able to to go along to get along, so to speak. Even if you don't like it, you still find a way to allow that next step to be one that can be in, in harmony and to, to some extent. Well, it doesn't happen, and, and, and that's why this country is where it is, and, and, and it, the way it is, and that's why we live in certain parts of the country to be comfortable in our own skin, to live the way we choose to live. Now, when hearing that soundbite, and in hearing the president of the United States call a group of men out by exercising their First Amendment peacefully, SOBs, because they're not standing for the flag. And let's make sure it's understood. It's not so much that these athletes or even owners and coaches now all of a sudden are not taking this stance by embracing each other arm to arm and shoulder to shoulder, as we said, Colorado with our fight song to, to guys kneeling down. It's not going against the country or hate for this country. It's not going against the soldiers. We need to stop trying to make uh, the excuses for what this is really all about. It's bringing awareness to things that, that aren't equal across the board. And when you talk about the First Amendment, I think the president exercised his First Amendment by expressing himself so much so to where he basically called every last player in the National Football League. And it's an extension to guys who are connected to the National Football League, coaches and owners included, SOBs, because they weren't standing for the National Anthem. Now, there are many athletes in the National Football League. One that was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, that while the entire team in the narrative around this country through the media has said that all the, all the players were in the locker room. Well, they were in the breezeway, standing right there in the breezeway. One of the players of this team was actually, because he's a part of the military, was standing further out and had his hand on his chest, which we saw a lot of guys in that alleyway, from doctors to players, some coaches. I mean, even our president, uh, Donald Trump, when he had to put his hand on his heart when actually going through the process, process of the election through the Republican Party. There are some photos showing him not having his hand on his heart and across his chest. So when you look at the hypocritical approach and the disrespect when it comes to allowing people 
to exercise that First Amendment peacefully. Let's just say that peacefully first. But because you're speaking to an audience that you're trying to keep votes and, and speak to those who are following you and for those who are at the end of the day, trust me, when it's all said and done, everyone's going to have their moment in time to want to stand for something. And the guys who are standing for something in the National Football League are standing for not just one class of people, not one kind or color of people. It's for everyone when it comes to racial inequality, racial injustice, as well as brutality across the board, whether it's by police officers or the, the, the altercations and issues we saw in Charlottesville. When it comes down to those people that was actually having things handed to them because maybe they had a difference of opinion. So it... it, it so when you look at this man, you know, you hear the Steelers weren't out on the field. No, if you go back to the to the 90s, correct me if I'm wrong. They had teams and all the teams for the most part wasn't coming out on the, on the football field until after the national anthem. That's correct. When I first started covering the NFL, the anthem was played, then the teams ran through the tunnel, and that was in the 1990s. That was in the 1990s. So now you know, because we're in this world of politics and protesting, now everything is hypersensitive. Let's get down to the true level of transparency. There's a lack of respect that's taking place right now, starting at the top with our president all the way throughout this entire ordeal. You can't call guys SOBs because they're taking a stance and quietly and peacefully doing it to bring relevance and awareness to something like, let's just say there's a storm at the house. OK, and you have this rug sitting in front of your door. Tons of debris and, and, and everything that's just that's just piling up in front of the house. You can't cut the grass. You can't you can't mow the lawn. You can't take the blowers and blow all the debris out out of the way because it's, it's just too wet. Every, everything is a mess. But you take that rug where all the action is taking place and you raise it. What do you see? Termites. You see worms. You see a lot of things that's hiding underneath this rug. I think before Donald Trump, everything was hidden. Now that he's come out with this brash approach and saying what he wants to say, it now things are being revealed on a level that we've never seen before. And so now that we're at this place to where now things are being revealed, it's time to have these discussions. It's time for people to take down these walls and being fearful of having these conversations and get to the core. And, and this is where it really gets juicy, Brian. Colin Kaepernick was the first guy that got it in the National Football League that that took a knee for the for the for, for bigotry and, and racial injustice and, and, and racial inequality. Now you have the, damn near the entire National Football League, along with owners and coaches taking this knee now. So I wonder because no one's talking about this. Now, where does Colin Kaepernick now fit into this equation? Do we now say that all these guys that took a knee, coaches and owners included? should not be in the National Football League, or should we really revisit this stance that Colin Kaepernick took, which I've said all the time, it was very admirable of him to the point where because he had to fall on the sword, so to speak, it's now gotten to the point where people are now feeling it. You know why? Because it's in our backyard. Now it's at the front door of guys who play in the National Football League. It's at the front door of all athletes as well as owners who actually turned their back on the Colin Kaepernick's of the world because they were afraid because they didn't want to lose sponsorships. Steve Bashotti and whoever else was involved in that life. So now you, you, you're you dealing with this. You're having to deal with this. Because John Harbaugh, what was he doing? He was arm to arm and shoulder to shoulder with his players. You look at Steve Ross uh, down in, um, that's, no, it wasn't Steve Ross, the owner for the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Shad Khan in London. Yes, in London, he was standing side by side with his players. Now, it's one thing to say a, 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 a player is, is not worthy of being back in the National Football League because he's regressed as an athlete. That's far from the truth when it comes to Colin Kaepernick because, again, we can go down the list of backups and half of the starters in the National Football League who shouldn't even be in it. But now that we, we see what's taking place, Jacksonville's owner, to, to even we having their head coach and we know how Mr. Rooney is. That message had to be talked about with the Rooney family first before they allow their product to go through this process. But they still paid a moment in a the, in the part of respect because they still was in the breezeway and put their hand on their chest. They were there, but the media is saying that the Steelers were not a part of it. And so when you look at this, the president, he has to be held accountable for this. And I think, you know what? Because of what's taking place in the National Football League across the board, that awareness is sticking out like a sore thumb. You can't run from it now. It's sticking out like a sore thumb. Colin Kaepernick, they ran from that one individual. You can't run from the owners. You can't run from the coaches. And you damn sure can't run from the players when you see the stance that they're taking. And you know what? I have to be honest with you. It's a beautiful thing to say, to see, excuse me. It's a beautiful thing to see right now to the point where it's not that they're against the flag. They're not against the military. They're against all of the hypocritical, the back and forth of conversation being in denial turning it back on reality and truth and transparency in this country, but most importantly, the three things that starting off with Colin Kaepernick because he's the pioneer in this situation. Racial injustice, racial inequality, and police brutality to the point where if we don't come to the table and talk about this, and we're talking about the leader of this country, the leader of this world, because they look up to this country, and he is the leader in this case. If you don't handle this correctly, it's going to get even bigger, and it's going to transcend not just in football, It's going to transcend in basketball, hockey, tennis, golf. It's going to go across the board. Let that that come in your backyard and see how it feels. And I think it's in the backyard of owners, coaches, players, and sports figures around the world. When you look at LeBron James, he did a phenomenal job today. So I have to commend him because he crossed over into not just sports in general and basketball, but he's crossed over into football and commit that it's it, it's 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 something that needs to be brought to attention. And the beautiful thing is right now, because of the divisive conversation from the top, it has created people to come even closer together to the point where now the awareness is there. And that's all everybody wanted. And I think that's what Colin Kaepernick was trying to do. Bring awareness to the situation. Well said. We saw unity and solidarity in the wake of an incredibly divisive comment. For folks who want to tweet and say, stick to sports, if you listen to this show on a daily basis, you know we're all in with the NFL. But when something transcends the sports world, it commands our attention. So we've addressed it now twice in detail. Let's move back to the games, Cordell, because it was an incredible Sunday on the field. Yeah. And are you going to validate now my decision to run from the New York football Giants? (laughs) They are (laughs) 0-3, dating back to 1990. Only three 0-3 teams have made the playoffs. None have done it since 1998. They lost on the longest field goal in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles, a 61-yarder. Who do you want to slash up connected to the Giants based on what you saw in Philadelphia? Well, I tell you what, man. Um, It's pretty bad in New York, to say the least. Um, The team... And I, and I got to dig in you a little bit on this. The team that you started out picking to win this division, um, even with Odell Beckham, there was a spark. Uh, they just flat. I don't know if it's Coach McAdoo. I don't know what it is. 
But the inability of this football team to be able to convert when needed. I mean, they were down early in this game. Down 14 uh, 14 nothing. Came all the way back at the 21-14 lead. Yeah. Eli throwing a troika of touchdown passes. Can I slash Odell Beckham Jr. for being a child? I know we have uh, more liberal celebration policies, but kids are watching. Act like you've been there before, okay? That was the most yeah. sophomoric thing I'd seen in a long time. He said he was a dog, so he was acting like a dog, like a nasty dog, dogged dog. I mean, he got penalized for it. He won't probably be doing the, the, the dog reenacting again. Uh, so uh, it goes back to what Marvin Lewis mentioned. Oh, now we got these guys celebrating themselves. Well, you know what? If you go too far, this is what happens. But allow me to say this. Um, you know, when you look at the running game of this team, Darkwa to Perkins to Vereen, uh, a total of 49 yards total in this last game. And, and, and it averaged out to 2.9 yards per rush. And you had Eli Manning who threw the ball 47 times. He threw two interceptions, had three touchdowns. Uh, but you saw a team in the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I thought that was a really good team. I, I thought they came with their A game. Uh, you know, it came down to the young kid, the rookie coming out of Memphis, Jake Elliott, who gave them an opportunity to win um, with a 61-yard field goal to, to to really make it. He had at least five more yards to go, but right in the inside of the right upright, uh, he did a, a great job of giving everything he had. And and sometimes that, uh, that 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 not knowing factor, you know, because he's a rookie, you don't know how hard it is. All you did was just put your head down and put your foot in it, and before you know, you knocked it through the uprights to get a big win. Uh, he's riding high off of this, but I slashed the entire Giants organization. This year alone, they've given up, what, $140 million in guaranteed money uh, this year. Uh, their inability to be on just in position to to hit on all cylinders, or at least a few cylinders. If they have eight, give me work with six of them. You know, they're probably working with two, maybe knocking on three with Odell Beckham coming back. Defense can't stop anything. Offensively, there, there's no continuity and rhythm. Of course, they gave 24 points, of course, uh, in the fourth quarter, which was remarkable by them, but not enough to beat this football team. I just think this Philadelphia Eagles football team across the board was much better. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, uh, you really have to question uh, the approach and how this team is being coached, uh, what message is being sent, uh, and, 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 and and just make sure that all the pieces you have in place, regardless of what part of the field it is, what part of the game it is, uh, wherever that may be, uh, that you go out and you really make sure that you emphasize every single thing uh, that's needed. Uh, the turnover margin, I think, is really what hurt this football team more than anything. Two turnovers. How about make a play at the end of the game? And make a play right? at the end of the game. I mean, one the evidence flows of this game is one, just normal. One stop means you don't have a 61-yard field goal try. It's like a 66-yarder, and Elliott's not going to hit that. The game goes overtime instead of the dramatic conclusion. Let me take you to Buffalo. I don't think we talked enough on Friday about the possibility of Denver having a letdown coming off that comprehensive victory over Dallas flying across the country. Trevor Simeon couldn't maintain his momentum after the four-touchdown performance against the Cowboys. Just a mediocre game yesterday in Buffalo with a couple interceptions. But what did you make of that strange sequence towards the end of the game? Vaughn Miller and Tyrod Taylor, we learned post-game, have known each other for years, so they're friends. Vaughn brings him down, 
and that does the okie doke. He reaches out with the hand to help him up, and he goes, whoa, not so fast. Both players are laughing, and then the official throws the flag. Who are you slashing there? Because Vaughn Miller said post game he killed his team with that 15-yard penalty. Yeah, and, and, and the funny thing is, he's man enough to say it, and, and let's just say this. Would you like to hear from Vaughn Miller? Because I summed it up. Vaughn let's Miller. hear from Vaughn, the best defensive player in all of football. One thing about it, I'm always able to bounce back. I always learn from my mistakes, and I just I just can't, you know, kill us. I, I killed the game today with that with that penalty, and I'm, I just I just have to be better than that, and I will be better than that. You're going to slash Vaughn, or are you going to slash the official there? No, you slash the officials in this case. I mean, how many times, and the official may look at it and say it's taunting, but you saw both players smiling. You saw both players laughing. So to just all of a sudden just act haste out of, out of, out of just straight, just automatic, just hastily, you, you can't do that. You, the referee has changed the complexity of this game, and it doesn't help that Trevor Simeon did end up throwing two interceptions. I mean, he had a really tough day, couldn't get anything going uh, when it came down to throwing the football. But that penalty right there, I, I agree with everything that Vaughn Miller said. Uh, it's commendable of him to actually put the pressure on himself because it started the trickle-down effect. Uh, but that right there, come on, refs. A lot of the guys that have some fun, if you see these guys grabbing, uh, doing something like this, you walk up to Von Miller and say, what was that about? You know, or even look at Tyrod Taylor. Or you look at him and see them laughing and smiling. At the end of the day, you can see the guys were joking. So sometimes I think you you jump too fast to 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 – to throw a flag just because of maybe what it may seem like. But to me, that was all fun and games. You can see it if you just watch it on ESPN. Von Miller stuck his hand. He's like, nope. Pulled his hand back. And so what was that? Was that taunting? Come on. That wasn't bad sportsmanlike conduct. There was nothing bad in that. If anything, you saw two guys who knew one another that had a good time. But the referee saw the back of Von Miller. He saw when he was smiling. Saw when he was joking. And you wonder if it was like a a laugh of sarcasm sarcasm, or or just being vindictive uh, to see the least, to see if he was trying to taunt the player. So whether it was sarcasm or, or, or just taunting a player, I think it was neither. I thought it was all fun and jokes. Sometimes you got to let things go, but that was petty by the referee. The referee in that game, you are slashed. If players can get fined, officials should be able to get fined. you yes, got to use should. your mind and a little common sense. I know it's a high-pressure situation, and you want to get it right, and officials are great and scrutinized, but come on. You have a brain, use it. i got to slash you. I'm going to let you finish your segment in a second. Go ahead. For doubting my guy, Aaron Rodgers. Now, he made it interesting with the pick six, yeah. but a reminder, he was missing both starting tackles once more. Somehow, some way, who delivers? Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in all of football. Yeah, you're not getting that out of me right now. You watch the end of that, that game? One. Nah, I watch all of it. He's Superman. No, he's gonna, and Cam Superman. Newton is no longer he's, Superman. He's we can talk Superman. about that. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in all of football. Well, Tom Brady's not too bad. I think that kid number, um, what's the kid's number? Number nine in Detroit is, is pretty damn good. He's really, really good. Uh, that was a questionable call by the referees at the end. But you know what? Take the L, move on, because you played good enough to win that football game because the touchdown, I thought it was a touchdown. It was a questionable. I mean, it was one where you had to look at it with a fine-tooth comb, honestly, uh, for his Tate actually leg hitting the ground. Um, but at the same time, the way that team played and fought, 
and created three interceptions by Matt Ryan, who was the MVP last year. To me, right now, this team is three and zero. All right, but don't uh, run from my Aaron Rodgers observation. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going sacked, to because he's sacked not sacked six times, had yeah. no offensive line, made the mistake right. with the pick it's six. The Cincinnati Bengals just hit, who have a very good defense led oh, by Geno Atkins. Oh, good this week. Oh, they're good. No, no, this no. Week I, now. I killed them for having no offense. Well, they came into that week. game with no touchdowns. Not test perfect. They're undisciplined. I know that. And did you see who fell down on the bomb to Geronimo? Yeah, Your I'm guy Adam Jones cannot play anymore. Right now, Aaron Rodgers is playing okay football with me right now. Okay, they should have beat the Cincinnati Bengals much better than that. They much won worse it than that. with no okay. help and you a battered offensive line. But you just sat here and said he's the best quarterback in all of football. Undeniably. It's not even okay. a conversation. All right, all right. How about that kid, Deshaun Watson, who almost beat the New England Patriots as a rookie? Played very How about well. That? But that tells, very well. that tells me more about the Patriots' defensive issues. Than it is the young court, the rookie I'm, quarterback I'm going on I'm giving him credit, but I'm also slashing the Patriots' defense. Can we slash Joe Flacco? Because Go that ahead. early, early game got lost in the shuffle. Let me read you the stat line for a Super Bowl champion. 28 passing yards, two interceptions, and he got outplayed by future Hall of Famer Blake Bortles, who had four touchdown passes in London. Now, how about Blake Bortles? Now, that's great quarterbacking. You've gone on the road to a place where we all say the team is going to end up. I mean, the best international team in the National Football League. Yes, I said it. The Jacksonville Jaguars. You had the quarterback in Blake Bortles that everyone has thrown away to the streets. But I said with Tom Coughlin being in this running game, being one that could be potentially productive, which I think overall it was on that day, um, they end up railroading. The Baltimore Ravens beating them 44-7. to Yes, back to Joe Flacco going 8 of 18 for 28 yards through two interceptions. Say that again. 28. Eight of 18. 28 passing yards. yards? Come on. 1.6 yards per pass. Didn't we just have this past weekend, I mean this past year, Steve Bashotti come out and say that he needs better quarterback play? How did that look? Against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yours and Nick Ferguson. Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, by the way, you both are scared to talk about this football team because you don't want to jump on the bandwagon too hard. Well, they can't play in London every week. Did you see, by the way, they're up 35 points late in the game. They ran a fake punt. Jacksonville. You know what? We're working on our place. We're working on our place. They're changing the culture. Changing the culture. Call it, man. You know what? You don't have time to feel sorry for anybody because – when you're playing the game and you're winning, hey, they have to stop you. They have to pay attention. You know, what if we, what if we run the fake and all of a sudden they stop it or they, it's, a, it's a bad snap? They pick it up and run it back for a touchdown. The momentum of the game changes. What if that happens? Now all of a sudden we're killing the Jacksonville Jaguars when they're up. And look what they end up doing, a bonehead play, but instead they convert it. And they end up getting big yards right off of that one particular play. So when saying that, again, This team in the Baltimore Ravens, who I said I am not trusting nothing about them because of their quarterback, he played horrible. He played horribly. How do you say that, Brian? Give it to me. Yeah, for the kids out there, there's something called an adverb, so you add the L-Y. Horribly. And how about this? We run this show astutely. I got to look at the clock and say, we got to pick up the tempo because... And he's been slashed, by the way. Joe Flacco, you've been slashed. Let's move forward. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was. 
It's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to go on the record with what we are more than sure is going to happen on Monday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. Let's start by hearing from Ezekiel Elliott contrite after his obvious lack of effort in the loss on the road in Denver. He gave up on the play after Dak Prescott threw the interception. I guess you could say it looked like that. I mean, I think you could I would say I was just very frustrated, but that's no excuse for the lack of effort I showed on tape, and I just can't do that. You know, being one of the leaders of this team and you know, being a guy that people count on, I, I can't put that type of stuff on film. Cowboy head coach Jason Garrett, well aware of the challenge presented by the Cardinals' tough defense. Well, I think they're an aggressive style of defense. Uh, they have a lot of guys around the line of scrimmage. Uh, they're an upfield pass rush team. Got good cover guys on the back end, playmakers in the secondary who uh, make plays to change the game. So, uh, you know, I think they play defense the right way. Again, it's aggressive. Uh, they're physical, and uh, they have some ball hawking guys who can make some plays. Cordell, we have a minute left in the program. Who wins tonight, and why? That's the greatest question of all because I think at the end of the day. Um, while looking at this team last week play against uh, the Denver Broncos in their city and getting the beatdown of their lives, um, you know, I'm thinking that the Cardinals are going to have the opportunity to go out there and get the beatdown of their lives because I think the Cowboys are going to come back and handle their business. I know you thought I was going with the Cardinals, didn't you? I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys, and this is what I say. I say they regrouped from that last game uh, they played against the Denver Broncos running the football. I think Ezekiel Elliott, had nine, Ezekiel Elliott had nine rushes for eight yards. Dak Prescott's inability to, to do things, two turnovers by him. I think this Cowboys team win 35-14. Oh, you're calling a blowout. I'll go the other way. Dallas's defense can't stop anybody. Arizona wins 24-21. We'll break it down tomorrow on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.